0: Hello and welcome to uh, Nothing But Net, the official podcast of Hoop Guru. We're back after about a month and a half break. Uh, A lot of stuff still going on in the basketball world, as usual. And coming up, starting next Thursday, is the NBA Finals. Easily the most anticipated finals, or easily the most anticipated series of this playoffs, because most of this playoffs has been pretty boring. Um, but I think everyone's pretty excited for the finals. Uh, Mason, biggest storyline going into the finals other than James Jones making his seventh straight finals appearance?
1: Yeah, big congratulations to uh, Big Game James, as we like to call him. Um, Not many players make seven straight finals, so he's on a short list there for, um, you know, up there with the all-time greats. I was going to say my biggest storyline here is you can make an argument, and, um, and it's not, you know, a bulletproof argument at all. But you could say that this finals could potentially be, um, uh, when looking back on it a few years down the road, uh, the greatest, in terms of pure talent, the most talented team ever put together against a team that features potentially the greatest player of all time.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I I would say that this is probably the greatest team put together in the Warriors uh, you mentioned some stats to me earlier this week about their Elo rating, and we'll get into that some more. But uh, th- I did see one thing: this is the first Finals that has seven current All Stars since 1983, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, biggest storyline to me is probably going to be the play of Kevin Durant. Obviously, this is—it feels like this is his Finals. You know, this first time he's been back since 2012 is the reason he went to the Warriors. And I'm expecting him to not have a great series. I, I just don't see I, – I think the pressure is going to get to him. I still think the Warriors are going to win, and we'll get to our predictions in a minute. I think the Warriors are going to win, but I think Steph Curry is going to be MVP because Durant, he just I don't think he's ready for this moment. I think, I think it was kind of like LeBron when he went to Miami and that first final series when Dwayne Wade was clearly carrying the team. LeBron was really shook. I think Durant is, is going to struggle a little bit, but he's finally going to get that ring. Uh, who do you have winning, and who's your finals MVP?
1: Yes, so I have the Golden State Warriors in five. Um, I have the finals MVP as Kevin Durant. Um, I think that he's going to come out firing on all cylinders. Um, he, I think just because he plays on a team with so many other good players that he doesn't necessarily have to feel the pressure that LeBron did when he was in, in Miami. Um, cause I mean, you look at this team and not only do they have four all-stars compared to Miami's three, but even their role players are you know they're not all stars, but they're all star role players. I mean, I mean, some of their role players are all stars. David West, uh, Andre Iguodala, players like that were all stars at one point in their career. Most of these guys are experienced; they've been here before. Obviously, last year, um, but yeah, I think Kevin Durant. And if not Kevin Durant, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Draymond Green won Finals MVP.
0: Yeah, honestly, the Finals MVP if the Warriors win the series. Could go to four. I mean, maybe five different players. I don't think anyone saw Andre Godala coming in the 2015 Finals, and he ended up winning that one. Um, but yeah, I could see it going to a bunch of different guys. I'm saying Warriors and six. I, I know everyone is saying Warriors and six, but I just I don't see like I, I want it to go to seven, honestly. But I, I think the Warriors are going to clean it up faster than that. I think finals MVP is going to be Steph. I think uh, long overdue for that, honestly. It feels like he's been good for so long. It's really only been a few years. But I think he's going to have a really good final series. I think he's really going to show up. Um, so let's do a couple over-unders here. Uh, over-under four for Draymond Green technical fouls.
1: Yeah, I'll take the under on that one. Um... If you were asking me how many times he probably will deserve a technical foul, I might take the over. But how many times he actually gets assessed one, I'll, I'll go under.
0: Yeah, I'm, four was definitely uh, a tricky number to go with here. I'm going over. I think he's going to get two in one game. I'm going to say he gets tossed one game just because. Uh, and I think I think maybe it could be like the last game of the series. I think that would be a lot of fun if he gets tossed in the game that the Warriors win. Uh, but I'll go I'll go over. Um and we'll see what happens there. Over under Steph threes thirty.
1: I said under, um, and I think the big reason for me going is because I have the Warriors in five. Is it, if it goes to six or seven, I think he can easily get thirty.
0: Yeah, so let's see if it goes. If it goes to six, then we're looking at uh, was that five threes a game. So yeah, I mean, I think five threes a game is reasonable if it goes. If it goes to six, I'm going under as well. Though I think that. I think that Steph isn't going to make a ton of threes this series. I think Clay is finally going to find his rhythm, and Steph is really just going to do his thing as a threat and get to the basket a lot um, instead of just catching fire from outside. Uh, Most triple-doubles, who do you think that goes to this series?
1: Yeah, I think the the, popular pick is going to be LeBron, but I think Green is going to sneak in there. And they won't be flashy triple-doubles. Green never has flashy triple-doubles, but I think he gets at least a couple of the, you know, Ten points, eleven assists, twelve rebounds. Those type of games.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say Draymond gets one triple double this series, and I, I think LeBron's either going to get two or three. I just I think LeBron shows up in the finals, and so at least you know in the past few finals he's really just shown up. So I think he's going to get two or three. Uh, but Draymond would not be surprised if he leads the finals in triple doubles. Um, yeah, so that's that's the finals coming up on Thursday. Uh, any other any other key storylines here before we move on?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, it's going to be a great series, uh, probably the most anticipated series that I have um, ever looked forward to watching in my lifetime.
0: Yeah, definitely looking forward to that, and uh, maybe we'll see it again next year. Uh, so we can move on to uh, some draft decisions. The deadline we just passed for college players to make their decision whether or not they want to stay in the NBA draft. Uh, Some of these that we're going to go through were actually decisions that were made early on. Some of them were like the last night of the deadline. Uh, But we'll go through them and talk about whether or not they were good decisions, what we think of these players and stuff like that. So the first one, Sviatoslav Mikhailuk, um, guard forward for Kansas, decided on the last night of the deadline that he's going to come back to school for his senior year. I think this was a really good decision, and I think the main thing about it is the dude is only 20 years old. He's, I think he's only – no, he's the same age as Josh Jackson, and and so I I think that this was kind of a no-brainer. He's a a really good three-point shooter, obviously, but that's all he's shown in college, and I think him coming back, he'll get more offensive uh, production. He'll be asked to take on more of the offense, and so NBA teams can see more of that from him. I think if he had gone, he'd be late second round or maybe not even drafted.
1: Yeah, I'd say he's um, he's got a lot of potential, and we knew that when he first came to Kansas. He was one of those guys that had the potential to be a lottery pick. I think if he would have gone this year, he would have ended up being kind of a draft and stash pick since he is from Europe. Um, I think I, I agree with you. It was a good decision for him to come back, and I still think because, like you said, he's 20 years old, he still has the opportunity to add some things to his game. He's not the longest guard, but he is like six seven and can play a, you know, the two or the three. So even though he's kind of got T-Rex arms, he's still, a, he's still a big guard that can, can defend uh, multiple positions.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the T-Rex arms. I just found out about his wingspan the other day. He's a 6'5 wingspan. Like, that's inc- that's incredibly short for a basketball player who's 6'7". More guys. We got Hamadou Giallo, who actually enrolled at Kentucky midseason this past year, but was not eligible to play until next season. Decided to cl- declare for the draft anyway. A lot of people had him late first round, early second round. He had the highest vertical at the combine. I think it was 44 inches. So obviously a great athlete. Hasn't really shown a ton of basketball skill yet, but he's—I mean, he's got an NBA body, NBA athlete. Uh, this decision for me is bigger for Kentucky than it is for him, mainly because Kentucky has... About four guards on the roster now that he's back. I mean, they they were going to have to go big the entire year. This allows him to play small. He can play the three for him. But I just in college, you got to have ball handling and a lot of ball handlers. And man, Kentucky was looking thin on the perimeter, and so I think it's big for him, big for them that he's coming back.
1: Yeah, I would agree. It's huge for Kentucky. Um, I think it was a good decision for him because I believe that he can raise his draft stock. Um in his one year at Kentucky, I'm assuming he's only gonna spend one year. Um, but this is one of those cases where uh, you know, he has a really wide draft range, depending on how his year at Kentucky goes. Um I think he was what like a late first round, mid first round pick. Um, you know, if he had stayed in the draft. I think he has the potential to get into the lottery if he stays in school, but he also has the potential to, you know, drop into the second or even undrafted if his year goes poorly.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's definitely the risks that Players have to assess is if they don't have a great year in college, maybe their maybe their draft position lowers or, any, or something like that. But I think the big thing with him was uh, a lot of NBA scouts didn't get to see him play, and so I think it's good that he's going to actually play at Kentucky. He'll be he'll be a de facto freshman, even though he'll be listed as a sophomore. Really, um, so a couple of Big Twelve guys up here: um, Andrew Jones from Texas. It was odd to me that he even declared for the draft, um, so when he decided to come back to school, I thought that was a good decision. Also, big for Texas as well. They, they uh, We'll talk about this later, but they got Mobamba and they could be getting another guy, so watch out for them next year. And then also Zach Smith from Texas Tech. He is a major athlete, great NBA body, got incredible length. He... Best dunker, one of the best dunkers in college the past couple of years. I thought he was going to be gone just because of his athleticism, um, but he is returning to school.
1: Yeah, both of these guys actually were um, surprising to me that they took a serious look at the draft. Um, I think Andrew Jones – didn't both of these guys just decide at the deadline? Um,
0: I think so, yeah. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and to me it was almost a no-brainer to come back to school. Neither of these guys – you know, are going to I don't think neither either of these guys is gonna hurt their draft stock by coming back. Um the only thing they can do is go up.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um next guy we have on here, Mo Wagner from Michigan. Uh, came out of nowhere at Michigan. I mean I I'm gonna be honest, I never heard of him until the NCAA tournament this year. And he had an incredible Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament. Uh, I think he's 6'10", 6'11", center, very skilled, shoots a three, and and, uh, a lot of people – it was weird how he was ranked, I'll say this, by a lot of draft sites because I saw some – I think ESPN had him in the top 30. Draft Express had him in the 80s. They didn't even think he was a draft prospect essentially, and so I wasn't really sure what to think of him. I figured he would be gone, but he'll be coming back for his sophomore year and so he's going to be
1: he's going to be a potential big 10 player of the year at michigan yeah he's got like you said he's got the potential to be a a really high impact player in college basketball this year i think espn had them on their had him on his on their top 25 um list of kind of their preseason looking at who the top 25 players are going to be um but yeah i I could see him going either way on this one i think he would have been fine leaving for the draft because i think he was a, a late first round pick or projected to be there and he does have the size and length um, you know, to be successful in the NBA right away is gonna kind of stretch four.
0: Yeah, he could play both post positions and obviously shooting three is huge nowadays and at six ten, six eleven, that's that's definitely an asset. Uh, another guy we can talk about Omer, you're at seven came into NC State last year. I don't think he played until the second half of the season. Uh people thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was gonna be gone. He was a big name recruit um didn't really show anything kind of reminded me of Andre Drummond a little bit i'm trying to think of other centers that went to college and didn't really do anything and then went to the nba and got drafted highly but uh, he decided to go back to school and i think that's really good for him i'm a big i'm a big supporter of people who who decide to go back to school and improve and i think that's huge that he's going to especially since mark godfrey got fired at nc state he's going to have a new coach hopefully the team's going to be better and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play this year and then hopefully being picked in the first round next year. A uh, couple of guys who were surprising that came back to school. Robert Williams, projected to be potentially a lottery pick, power forward center from Texas A&M. Uh, people were raving about his strength and his body and his athleticism. Um, and this one was at the very beginning of the of the draft season. I mean, he just said it like as soon as the season ended, like, yeah, I'm coming back. And people were surprised about that one. And then also Miles Bridges from Michigan State, uh, pretty much a lock as a lottery pick. I'm not sure how high I was on him based on just his, you know, him being a tweener and whatnot. But, I mean, he's got so much skill and athleticism. He's come back to Michigan State. He said, you know, the whole unfinished business thing. Uh, that the, the players like to say. And so Michigan State is going to be really good next year, but those were definitely surprising.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. Miles Bridges has a little more of a reason to come back um, with all unfinished business stuff. Robert Williams, I'm not really sure he can improve his stock too much uh, going forward. He doesn't bring a whole lot outside of athleticism, so I could see if you know he was really set on improving his skill set this summer. Um, maybe he jumps up a couple more spots. But uh, really, in my mind, he, I think he, it would have been a better decision for him to leave. I think you know his stock is at kind of an all-time high for him right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned like his his skill versus his body, and like what better place to improve your skill than the NBA? They have the best coaches, and so that's that's one of the one of the risks that guys take when they decide to come back to school. Uh, a few of the guys that decided to leave uh, that were probably surprising. First one that, that I found out about yesterday, uh, power forward center from West Virginia, Elijah Macon decided to leave early. And this, this is so surprising to me because West Virginia guys, they don't leave early because, honestly, they're not great. I mean, West Virginia, great team. Bob Huggins, great coach. He recruits guys to fit the system to run the press, to rebound hard, and to do things like that, and Elijah Macon decided to leave early, so I thought, I don't don't see him getting drafted. I honestly, we'll probably see him in the D-League, Summer League for years to come. This one was really surprising to me.
1: Yeah, it was to me as well. Like you said, West Virginia has a lot of system guys. In fact, I don't remember any guy in the past maybe five years from West Virginia really making a significant impact for an NBA franchise, you know, right after they're drafted or anything like that. So this was definitely surprising.
0: Yeah, um another one, uh, Jonathan Motley. I I kinda like this one. Um he was he was on the fence about it when he declared uh for the for the draft combine. Uh you know, people were wondering, you know, Baylor fans still on the fence about whether or not he should come back. And I, I like that he's leaving. I think his his stock is really good. Uh, best power forward in the nation this year. Uh, his length and his skill, he, he really good right now. And I think he could he could fit with an NBA team, be a solid backup four or five. I think this was the right time for him. And if he had come back, it might have been forcing it. I think his stock is as is, is high as it's going to be right now.
1: I agree. I think any improvements he would have made to his game would have been more marginal um, as opposed to the astronomical we've seen over the past couple of years. I mean, you saw flashes of him as a freshman Um, of what he could be and then you know he really filled out his game the past couple years but I think I agree this was the right time for him to go
0: yeah another another actually a couple more big men after this Tony Bradley for North Carolina this one was really uh, confusing to me Uh, a freshman center he I mean he showed some nice flashes off the bench playing behind Kennedy Meeks Uh, probably the best body on that team uh six ten, six eleven kind of guy, traditional center, and people thought he was gonna come back for a sophomore year and just be dominant. Uh but apparently he got some got word from NBA guys that yeah they like his potential. He's still listed as, you know, early second rounder, so definitely interesting there that he wasn't gonna come back. Do you think that maybe like winning a championship kind of pushed him out? Like, hey, you know what, I've got I've got a college ring. I might as well move on to the next level.
1: See, I don't know. That's the strange thing to me is even though he did win that ring, I feel like he has still had so much opportunity to have more success at the college level. Had he come back? Um, I think one of the things that, that scares NBA team a little bit about him is he was, like you said, playing behind some other guys at North Carolina, even though they did win a title, it was kind of like a Daniel Orton situation from a couple of years ago at Kentucky when he was playing behind DeMarcus cousins. Yeah. Um, Obviously he's got a lot of potential. He's got a great NBA body, but you know, if he comes back this year, he's the guy. He's the go-to guy for Kentucky. I mean, not Kentucky, excuse me, for North Carolina. Um, and then, you know, you add Tony Bradley to the pieces that UNC has already come back with this, this coming year. And, you know, they're probably the number one team in the country. So I think there was a lot of opportunity for success for him this year. And I'm kind of surprised that he left.
0: Yeah, that one was a little bit shocking, and it came towards the end of the deadline. And so that's why that's why it was worrisome for a lot of people. Uh, another big man we can move on to, Caleb Swanigan. Um really good year i mean he was in the conversation for national player of the year this one's interesting to me because i just not sure how he fits in the nba he's he's so massive that i'm i worry about his defensive abilities as a four and i and he's not tall enough to me to be a five but he he has the offensive skill to be a four i think he's he has the offensive skill of zach randolph really but i'm worried about him in today's nba and so you know it he had such a good year. I don't think there's any way that he could have come back and had a better year. But again, I'm just not sure how he fits in the NBA. So this one is a tough decision for me.
1: Yeah. My best projection for him would be, you know, if we gets, if he gets really smart about his defense and really tough about it, I could see him playing like a, obviously Kendrick Perkins was never as good of an offensive player. Swanigan is already, but I could see him playing a like Kendrick Perkins type role in a defense. Um, but I agree. I think whether he left this year or next year, his stock is going to be about the same, which is second round.
0: Yeah. Uh, Nigel Williams-Goss, he was uh, also in the conversation for National Player of the Year, led Gonzaga to the national title game. I mean, he had a really good year. Uh, I don't see him as as an NBA player, honestly. I really would have liked to see him come back for another year. Nothing about him is outstanding, uh, and so I, I think he really should have taken advantage of that next year. And, and Gonzaga... Still would have been at the top if he had come back.
1: Yeah, especially with the huge crop of really good point guards coming out um, in this draft. It's it's already highly diluted. I can imagine if there weren't very many point guards um, he could slip into a spot that maybe right here would be a little bit overrated. But you know, we're looking at five point guards potentially in like the top eight picks or something like that. Um, so I just don't think there's any room for any teams to take Nigel Williams-Goss
0: yeah definitely and and we as we move on here we have literally five more point guards after this first one being Isaiah Briscoe which i just don't see him as an nba player i am, he it baffles me that he left after his sophomore year i mean i'm not sure how his stock would increase uh he's about 6-1 and he absolutely cannot shoot the basketball uh his best ability is getting to the rim but i mean at 6-1 he's going to have a really hard time Finishing at the basket. Obviously he can have potential as a great defender, but I just don't see him being drafted. And then another guy, Marcus Keene. He led the NCAA in scoring. Really small. He's about five nine. Uh I mean obviously Isaiah Thomas having success in the NBA. But I really would have liked to see him in college any other, another year because he was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. A lot of these a lot of these guards that you have mentioned, Isaiah Briscoe. Marcus Keane, then coming up, P.J. Dozier, Kobe Simmons, Frank Jackson. A lot of these kind of surprised me um, as to why they left. Um, Frank Jackson maybe not as much simply because he, he ended up uh, getting tested a lot better in his athleticism and measurements than I think people expected. So he may be riding that in this draft, but those other four guys, I'm not re- really sure why they left.
0: Yeah, P.J. Dozier was a little bit surprising from South Carolina. Uh I think he's about a six-six point guard. So I mean, he's got some—he's got some tools there, and so does Kobe Simmons from Arizona. Pretty athletic guy, looks really looks like an NBA player, but uh, could have used a lot of improvement. And Arizona's going to be really good next year. Um, Frank Jackson, definitely an interesting one. I haven't—I haven't really looked at some of his like uh, tape enough, but he, he nothing about him is incredibly outstanding. He does a lot of things well, but I, I, I see him as a second-round pick. That's draft declarations. We can move on to a level below that, which is recruiting decisions. Uh, we had the recruiting period end. Um, it's, it's over. Some of the guys have not officially announced yet because technically, you, and nowadays, you don't actually have to sign a national letter of intent. You can just sign on the scholarship papers essentially any time before school starts in the fall. Uh, but a lot of guys do want to get out of the way, sign their national letter of intent, and so we had some last-minute ones. Uh, Mo Bamba, uh, number three-ranked player on ESPN, he's a center. He's going to be going to Texas. Uh, this is a big deal. Uh, it's also funny to me, honestly, how, how Texas keeps getting these centers, these, uh, these Miles Turner, Jared Allen, uh, Cam Ridley back in the day. It, it's honestly just weird that they keep getting these centers. I mean, I guess they, I guess they see the success Miles Turner had in the NBA, Jared Allen's gonna be a first-round pick, um, but man, Texas was not good last year, and they were supposed to be. So, uh, do you think they could turn it around with Bomba?
1: I think if they do turn around, it won't be because of Bomba. It'll be because uh, um, of their guard play. That's been their weakness for a long time. Is their guard play, like you mentioned, um, the centers have always been at least able to carry their own weight, if not, you know, be a, a, you know a centerpiece for the team. But I think if Andrew Jones and some of the guys that they're bringing in can start to kind of carry their own weight in terms of really being a, you know, a top twenty-five, top twenty, top fifteen caliber backcourt, then you could see some improvement from Texas.
0: Yeah, I think uh, we'll talk about some other guys later, but Texas, I think, to me, is going to be a top three team in the Big Twelve. Uh, a couple of guys I do want to mention real quick: uh, MJ Walker going to Florida State. Um, Brian Bowen, Brian Tuggs is how it is, uh, his nickname, Brian Tuggs Bowen, uh, rumor was that he, that, uh, the front runner is now Texas, uh, because he's being recruited hard by their five-star point guard recruit, Matt Coleman, um, and he's also being recruited by Oregon, DePaul, NC State, Creighton. Apparently Arizona and Michigan State were his two main ones, but then after some draft decisions and um, and some recruiting decisions, he's, he doesn't really fit there well at either of those schools, and so Texas has really come onto the picture late. So, I mean, if they add him, they got Matt Coleman, Andrew Jones coming back, they could really be good. Uh, Tremont Waters uh, decommitted from Georgetown. Front runner is now Western Kentucky, apparently, who also has the number 10 player in Mitchell Robinson. He's also considering Yukon, Duke, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Yale, and Georgetown. He's a point guard, and you need point guards in college. Uh, so he's, he's about a top 40 recruit, I believe. So he, his decision will be important. A um, couple of big names that ended up, ended up going to some big-name programs. Kevin Knox choosing Kentucky. So he rounds out their their NBA starting lineup. He's about six eight. He can start at that small forward position for them, because of course they already have some NBA sized power forwards and centers. Um, so, yeah, that Kentucky is is uh, doing their thing, and then also Trayvon Duvall to Duke. This one is essentially a result of Frank Jackson going to the NBA.
1: Yeah, Kevin Knox is an interesting situation because I think on on most college teams he would be your ID stretch four type player in college who then moves to the small four in the NBA just because of his incredible size um, for that position right now. So you may end up seeing like from Kentucky, obviously they won't have enough uh, firepower to have another platoon year like Calipari had a couple years ago. But if you remember that that platoon year, the small forwards that they played were really big guys who probably could have played the four at other schools. And I think that's what you're going to see from Kevin Knox this year.
0: Yeah. The, the start. I think the starter on that platoon team was Trey Lyles at the small forward, and it's funny yeah, who plays who plays power forward in the NBA. He plays power forward in the NBA now, um, and, and yeah. So I mean, Kevin Knox, he he probably would have played power forward at Duke. Um, a lot of people were thinking he was going to go to Duke. Uh, he'd play power forward pretty much anywhere else, but he's at Kentucky, so he's going to play that small forward position. And that actually brings us to our next our next thing here, Missouri. Uh they already have Michael Porter, the number one player, who is kinda of, a little bit of that same kind of player. You know, he's a small forward, but he's 6'10, so he'd fit really well at the power forward position in college. And they also have an, a four-star center, Jeremiah Tillman, coming in. Uh Michael Porter's younger brother, Jante, just recently committed to Missouri. He's in the class behind them, but rumor is he might reclassify to this current class and he hasn't he hasn't decided on that yet. If that happens, we may see the same thing at Missouri. We may see a starting lineup of Michael Porter, Jante Porter, and Jeremiah Tillman, which means that we're looking at 6'10 and above for a small forward through center and a college team, which is just insane, especially at Missouri, Uh, and not known for its basketball prowess the past few years.
1: Yeah, I think that would be pretty crazy. I still don't think that would put missouri into um you know the category of a championship caliber team somebody's going to be competing for a title maybe you know sweet 16 elite eight type team though um but you know comparing porter to knox I, even though i you know i mentioned that knox's size is similar to porter's i think porter still has you know the, the kevin durant type of ability to um to you know to play like a guard so i could see him fitting a little more naturally at the small forward even though he does have the same size as kevin Knox.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, moving on, lastly, to some NBA talk. Uh, offseason coming up right after the finals end, or actually uh, most teams, offseason is pretty much already here. Uh, so we're going to talk about a few of the teams who I think are going to have the biggest off seasons in terms of decision-making and just their future going forward. Uh, and the first one, I think, is Boston Celtics. Uh, my biggest question is how are they going to improve after that pitiful showing against the Cavs in the conference finals? Or are they not going to improve? Are they going to hold off on all of their assets until LeBron retires? I mean, are they really, are, do you think that they're going to go all out right now, knowing that LeBron and the Cavs are still in the East?
1: I would doubt it. Um, if this were most other teams in the NBA, I would say that they you know, might make a move right now. But I know Danny Ainge and the rest of the Celtics organization is a very patient group. And they make only smart moves. They make no rash decisions. So I could see them holding on, um, whether that's trading that pick for other assets or, you know, drafting a player like Markel Foltz and kind of keeping them in their system. But really, they have all the tools right now, which is a really rare situation. But they have all the tools to remain good now, but also retain their assets for the next few years and kind of wait to jump on a really good opportunity. Like once you said LeBron starts to decline and maybe the Cavs like to go their stranglehold on the Eastern Conference.
0: Yeah, um, it's definitely an interesting situation that they're in. And you mentioned the patience of it because so many people have wanted them to make a move already. You know, so many fans are like, "Wow, they really should have traded for Jimmy Butler or Paul George at the deadline." They ended up not doing that, and they have all these assets, they have these players, picks. They have the number one pick, obviously. I think that they're doing the right thing by being patient. Um, and it, I think that they're going to have a quieter summer than most people think. Obviously, they, they could have the cap space to sign a max free agent. Uh, Gordon Hayward, Blake Griffin, guys like that are, are, are potentially out there for them to sign. I think they're going to have a quieter offseason than some people expect. Uh, next up, Golden State. I think they're going to have, I think people are downplaying uh, the offseason that, that, that could happen for Golden State because Kevin Durant and Steph Curry are free agents. Now I know I know that Golden State's heavy favorites to re-sign them, especially if they win the title in the next in the next couple of weeks. But nevertheless, they're free agents. And that's a big deal. I mean, think about I mean LeBron James, when he was a free agent, he left Cleveland. And he left Miami. Durant when he was a free agent, he left Oklahoma City. I mean, we didn't see any of those coming, essentially, but free agency happens, and it it makes people change their mind. And so I think Golden State is really going to have to play with this carefully.
1: Yeah, I think people are probably downplaying it a little bit, but I think the reasons that they're downplaying it are probably good reasons. um. Durant, obviously, is not the guy who's looking for the max payout right now. Um, if he was, he would have re-upped in Oklahoma City. He's looking to be on a winning team, and he obviously has the best situation to be on, on a winning team um, in Golden State. And I think Curry is kind of in the same boat. Um, obviously, he is, he's never been one to complain about his situation on the team or, or his paycheck. He's definitely not hurting for money. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who is out there to make as much money as possible. Um, so I, I I think, I don't think either of these guys are really a, a much of a flight risk.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, uh, I, I think they're good reason that the Warriors are favorites to re-sign these guys. Uh, but th- they're still the option out there, and that's why I think it's a bit dangerous for them. Uh, next up, I think this is probably the biggest offseason question mark, is the Clippers. Uh, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin are free agents. Uh, the whole Lob City experiment Really had a nice run. It was a little bit disappointing to not even see them make a conference finals. Fun team to watch, but uh, those those free agents. I mean, I, I honestly have no idea where those guys are going to go if they're going to resign. Um, th- this could be this could be rebuilding mode for the Clippers.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um, address some of the rumors about Chris Paul to the Clippers. I mean, sorry, Chris Paul, excuse me, Chris Paul to the Spurs. Um, I think those are all a bit outlandish. They may be in, in kind of general talks at this point. But, you know, before this past summer in signing LaMarcus Aldridge, the Spurs are just not the kind of team that goes out and signs big name superstars. Um, they just don't. And I mean, you know, nothing against LaMarcus Aldridge, but even the LaMarcus Aldridge signing was not a Chris Paul level signing um that and they would have to give up so many of their role players that they value so much in like danny green monitor nobly would have to retire they'd probably have to either you know ask tony parker to retire or send him to a very very small contract give up patty mills and those are the type of players to me that make the spurs the spurs and so i don't think giving up those players to get chris Paul is something that as, a, as an organization they would do
0: yeah i agree with you there uh i could see it happening but one, another thing that worries me is Dejounte Murray has looked really good. Honestly, I mean they gave him they gave him some major minutes in the playoffs, and I think that he could be their next point guard. And to to forego a ton of money uh, to get Chris Paul at the end of his career, I'm not sure would be worth it. And it does not seem like a Spurs move. Um, so yeah. Uh, the Clippers, and I, I guess also in turn the Spurs, are going to have a, a big off season ahead of them. Next one for me is the Pelicans. Uh, obviously, they just traded for DeMarcus Cousins this season, and Cousins has a player option coming up. And so they're going to need to convince him that he needs to stay in town. And right now, the supporting cast just isn't good enough. Drew Holiday is going to be a free agent, and so... They're going to have to figure out a way to improve that roster so they can can keep DeMarcus Cousins in town. Otherwise, that trade was for nothing.
1: Yeah, I think at this point, it's – well, not at this point. Since DeMarcus Cousins became a household name, it has been totally up in the air what his decision on anything is going to be. Um, Obviously, his maturity has improved a little bit since he came out of college, but he's just not a guy that you can predict. Um, And do you remember when he got traded – He said, "You know, he was very adamant about like, you know, if I get traded, I'm not going to sign with them, um, with anybody. Them being whoever he gets traded to. So it'll be interesting. I wouldn't be surprised either way. But just from you know a a roster perspective, Anthony Davis is obviously a piece um, that you can build your franchise around. So maybe he will be enough to keep Boogie in town.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it is. I'd like to see I like to see the Pelicans succeed with Anthony Davis. I do want to mention one thing while we're here." Um, there's a no way the Pelicans give up Anthony Davis. Some people were saying, oh, the Celtics, they should just trade for Anthony Davis. There is no way. They, they cannot give enough for Anthony Davis. He's a generational player and talent. They're not giving him up.
1: Yeah, I can't wait until Anthony Davis gets on a team that uh, you know gets assigned some real NBA uh, TV time because he is just the type of player that um, just wows you. Sometimes, you know, in a way that is very noticeable and sometimes not. But, you know, we just haven't seen enough of him on TV. And because of that, maybe he just hasn't become as much of a household name as he deserves.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting topic, uh, probably for another day, just about teams that get uh, time on national TV and teams that don't. I think it definitely should be spread out more evenly than it is. Um, so, yeah, a few more teams uh, who have big off-seasons coming up. The Lakers, I think, have a big one. Obviously, number two pick in the draft. And I think mainly it's because it's Magic Johnson's first off-season as president of basketball ops. He needs to make a good impression there. Uh, Toronto, they have a couple of impending free agents in Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. And so they kind of have the same question with Boston. Do we use our money right now or and continue to be inferior to Cleveland, or do we blow it up? And then the last one, Utah, um, and this is essentially just Gordon Hayward. Uh, He's got a decision to make whether he wants to stay or go, and Utah's future could hinge on that.
1: Um, Notes on all three of those. I think, first of all, Utah has a good chance of Hayward remaining with the team, even though they're not able to pay him that max simply because I think the only big threat to them would be Boston pulling him away. But I don't think they're going to pull the trigger on that, like we mentioned earlier. Um, Toronto, I think, is in a little different position than Boston. Um, their assets are not as young, and they don't have as many of them. You know, uh, DeMar DeRozan is not, uh, on the, um, not on the good side of his prime anymore. Um, Kyle Lowry isn't either. Um, and they just don't have as many movable assets as Boston does. So I think their decision is going... And need to be made faster they don't really have the option to to wait um in boston's case waiting kind of is is putting off the decision where in, in toronto's case not making a move is a decision to to continue to fight the Cavs. um lastly for the lakers um, i'm a huge fan of you know magic's first big move coming out saying that everybody but brandon ingram uh, is untouchable uh, or sorry, Brandon Ingram is the only untouchable uh, player on that roster. There are some really good pieces on there, but I, I, you know, on a bad team, you can't, you can't be someone that says, you know, we're going to try and win now with the players we have. Um, and it seems like he is going to be able to turn around that franchise switch just a year ago was making mistakes like signing Timofey Mozgov and Dang to these huge contracts.
0: Yeah, I actually, uh, I forgot about that Brandon Ingram comment that he made. I really like it too. Um, I hope Brandon Ingram pans out. That's one thing I do want to say because his his rookie season, he just didn't. Uh, I mean, if you look closely, he had a couple things where uh, you could really see the potential, but you know, nothing. None of it was flashy. He didn't put up great numbers, but I'm glad that the Lakers value him, and it shows. It shows the world, I guess, if the world was, if NBA fans were worried about Brandon Ingram's future, it shows them that if management really really believes in him then he must be this good uh do you think they're going to draft Lonzo Ball
1: I think so Uh, um not because of anything that LeVar or Lonzo has been saying but simply because he's going to be the best player on the board when they draft um the two best players in this draft easily are Martel Fultz and Lonzo Ball and I think Fultz is going to Boston
0: yeah I think I think Ball will will be in Los Angeles too which will be a lot of fun for the media um, so, yeah, a couple things before we go here. Uh, I've been working on some off-season notebooks. I'm going to try to get those done for every team. I've done Atlanta, Boston, and Brooklyn so far. Uh, so still 27 teams left to do. And then also we are almost done with our Hoop Guru mock draft. And hopefully that will be done in the next few days uh, in time for the coming draft in the next couple. All right. Uh, yeah, we're going to try and do two or three more podcasts this summer. Uh, off season, a lot of stuff happens. So, um, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you later.